Good evening, church. How you guys doing tonight? I got one. Woo. Okay. All right. Okay. That was a buildup. I wasn't going to do that thing, you know, where it's like, no, but how are you really doing tonight? Like, I'm not going to do that, but I appreciate the fact that it kind of like escalated. That was, that was kind of special for me. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Well, before we get into the message, I wanted to um, give you just like a public service announcement about our Good Friday and Easter gathering, but more broadly than that, our entire Easter series that we're going to be doing, and it begins next Sunday, and it's going to be continuing through the Sunday after Easter, kind of going through four major components of the Easter of the Easter movement that began at Palm Sunday, the week before um, Jesus's uh, resurrection, Good Friday, um, with his death and resu- uh, with his crucifixion and death and burial, and then Easter Sunday with his resurrection. But then the next week, we're going to come back together for, to celebrate his ascension. The fact that the, the grave is empty and the church has been empowered by the power of the Spirit of God to go make disciples of all nations. So it's going to be a really special Easter series. Now, if you look at like the font choice, the colors, all of that is meant to display not like some tricky, like awesome marketing technique, but it's, what it's meant to convey is the heart is to display the epic nature of Easter. And here's why that matters. Because so easily, if I were to ask most likely any of you, what's the story of Easter? You'd probably be able to share it back with me. And if you're anything like me, it would kind of just come across matter of fact. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, that time Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was resurrected from the grave. Yeah, like that, that whole thing. But see, what happens is so easily this moment that is so epic. In fact, the most epic moment in the history of of humanity. Anything, something more epic than anything that the minds of J.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or Marvel Studios or Pixar or whoever could possibly conceive that moment. That moment is real. And that moment is transcendent into our lives today. And it's changing hearts and lives every day. And so it's not that we're trying to make Easter epic. It's that we are going to be journeying together to hopefully meditate and ruminate on the beauty that is the story of Easter, that our hearts would be captivated once again by Jesus. That as we gather with each gathering that takes part of this four-part series, that our hearts would be moved to worship Jesus, to be in awe of the risen Savior, our crucified King. So that's the hope and the heart behind this Easter series. So I hope that gets you a little bit excited for it. I'm super excited about it. Um, I've been working on the message for Palm Sunday for next Sunday. And honestly, it's been super challenging and encouraging for my heart. So I hope that it, it, it does the same for you. Um, so with that, uh, Good Friday, we will be having a gathering here. It's on Friday uh, and uh, right before Easter. And it'll be at 702 right here, as well as Easter Sunday. We'll be right here again at 702. And now, now, Easter typically has historically been an, a great opportunity to invite others, people who are kind of like casual attenders of church from time to time, or they are de-churched individuals, people who have walked away from the church, or people who I, they have never had any experience within a biblical community. But it typically is an, a great opportunity for us to invite people in to experience what our particular biblical community is all about. 
So we want to make that easy for you to be able to invite people into, not because we believe what we do here is the end all be all, but it is one of the pieces of what we are called to do as the local church. So we would just encourage you, be praying, be intentionally praying. Who are the others that God would call me to invite in to come and participate and just see? Um, maybe you bake some cookies for your break room and you take some of our Easter flyers and you throw them down on the table and you just leave them there. Whatever that might be for you, we just want, we just want to encourage you, be prayerful, be intentional. If you're a cast member, this, that's literally why we have this Disney campus is to reach the world of Walt Disney World and its cast members. So just want to throw that out to you and encourage you. Would you just pray, God, who would you have me either share the gospel with directly or who would you have me invite to come to our gathering or both? So let that be an opportunity for all of us. So let me do this with all of you before we get into the message. Would you pray with me for really, not just for our local church, what we're doing, but for churches across the globe and that Easter would be a beautiful time to remember the beauty of the gospel. Father, I thank you first and foremost for Jesus Without him, without your son, without you sacrificially sending your son to pay the debt that we owed, we would have no hope. But yet we have hope of a resurrection life. We have hope of something far beyond ourselves. And it's not because of us, it's because of you. So Lord, I pray that this Easter season, we would be, our minds would be recaptivated by the beauty of the gospel, by the majesty of Jesus. I pray for churches across Orlando, across the United States, and across the globe, that this Easter would be a remarkable time where individuals would be awakened by your Holy Spirit to the call of the gospel, that you would be doing a movement in the hearts of men, women, and children across the globe, that disciples would be made and your name would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get into the message. If you have a Bible with you, uh, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. If you are using a digital version, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. If you are using one of the Mosaic Beautiful Blues, um, we're on page 1085. Now, as you're flipping there, Um, This passage is first and foremost about the concept of perseverance, of grit in the faith, of being able to push through in the difficult moments. Now, I realize as I was studying this, that the language that Paul's going to use in this passage lends itself to the concept of racing and specifically running racing. And I realize that there's a slight irony in that. If you've been hanging out with us for a while, you know that from time to time, I make a joke at the expense of runners. And first and foremost, I want to own that and apologize if that has made anyone feel less than because you are capable of running 26.2 miles and I clearly am not. So I want to first say that and I want to honor you guys, especially because, hey, it's the final race weekend of the Run Disney season with this morning, the the, uh, Tower of Terror 10 miler. You guys who ran that, so cool. Um, Yeah, like, go for it. That's great. Love that story. Now, now, I, so 
in preparation for this message, I did some research on the history of running marathons. You might know this, particularly the runners probably know some of this, but for others who are like me, not runners, this might be um, uh, interesting for your little fact minds. Um, so the first marathon was ran in ancient Greece by a messenger that was going from the, the city-state of Marathon to the city-state of Athens to declare a military victory over the Persian Empire. This dude ran from Marathon, 40 kilometers, about 25 miles, all the way to Athens, proclaims this good news of victory, and then falls down and dies. That's the first marathon, and that would be me running a marathon, I'm pretty sure. Now, the modern marathon started in honor of that with the very first modern Olympic Games, the first, the first modern summer Olympiad uh, in 1896. And in 1896, they did that run, and they decided that they would do it 40 kilometers, about 25 miles, to honor that, that story of the past. So it stated about 25 miles for the first couple Olympics games, not 26.2. But then as the story goes, the Queen of England, it was being, the Olympics were being hosted in London and the Queen of England decided that or asked for the, the race to be extended just slightly so that her kids who were in Windsor Palace and the nursery could look out the window and see the race start. And then her and her husband could be in the Royal Box in the Olympic Stadium and watch it finish. That wasn't, that was a little bit longer than 40 kilometers. It was 26.2 miles. Kind of interesting, right? So that number ended up sticking, um, and I'm sure all the runners were super pleased to run an additional 1.2 miles. So if you are a runner, you can blame that queen, not our current, not the current queen of the British uh, of um, the United Kingdom, but an old queen um, who I don't. Don't have her name written down. Nope, I just put Queen of England. Yeah, old queen uh, who came up with that metric. Now, all of that to say, again, not a marathon runner, but I am just going to go ahead and imagine that at a certain point in the race, the exhaustion really starts to set in, right? Like you can imagine all of us who are not runners in the room, like we're like, yeah, I mean, like 1.2 miles sounds about the point of exhaustion for me. The uncertainty of if you can make it, all the training that you have done, all of that energy that you've exerted into that, like, is it really worth it kind of is a part of it. Your body probably begins to gain a personality and it's starting to question your motivations. You're just exhausted. See, there's a reason why marathons oftentimes make such a great metaphor for life, right? Because it's hard. It's long. It can be meaningful and valuable. And that's why it's oftentimes the idea of racing or running long distances is a metaphor used for those of us who follow the way of Jesus. See, when we begin to follow Jesus, it's not like we're automatically transported into the kingdom of God as if we're in Star Trek or something, right? Instead, we still stay right here on planet death where things go awry pretty frequently, right? And yet we are called to be ambassadors of the kingdom of light in the midst of a darkened world, right? We are called to be representatives, little outposts of the kingdom of God everywhere we go as we are learning that in the day in and the day out. Hence, it's kind of a marathon, right? It's as Eugene Peterson wrote, it's a long obedience in the same direction. 
See, the terrain of the course has ups and downs, hills and valleys, changes of temperature. It can feel like there are stretches of the course where you don't know when the next time there's gonna be a water break is. That to me sounds like the hardest part about a marathon, by the way. Like I'd be so afraid of no water. Um, so that's why I put that in there. Uh, it can, I can imagine that if you are running by yourself, it can feel pretty lonely. But then the race also has those thrilling moments where you catch that elusive second wind. When you run, and maybe you, you are running with friends for a while, and as you're running with friends, it's, you're just having a blast together. And you have so much fun that you forget that you're actually running a race. You just think you're going on a fun run. Moments when you get the nutrition that your soul craves, and then you ultimately remember that Jesus is the one who's truly running the race in the beginning. That instead we are just invited in on the story that he is telling. We are invited to be active participants with him in the race that he is running. We get to draft off of his incredible power as we are empowered by his Holy Spirit. Following Jesus is indeed like a marathon, right? So where are you on your journey? If you follow Jesus, do you currently feel like you're in a season that feels more up? or kind of more down? Does it feel like life is just coming at you? Or is the course feeling pretty good right about now? And for each of us, we probably have a mixture of those seasons. And sometimes you're having the same one at the same time where there's some hard, there's some good. And it's kind of hard to know the difference. But either way, tonight, what I would love for us to ask the question of is how am I called to pursue Jesus in this marathon of a journey known as life? where I'm at right now. Not like in the theoretical realm, but like where I'm at today, in the circumstances of my life right now. How can I experience and know Jesus more intimately and pursue after him right now? Now, we've been journeying through the book of Philippians and over the last couple of weeks, we've been learning from the example of Paul, both what it means to set aside whatever righteousness we naturally think that we have in ourselves. Like we think we're so awesome and right because we are so awesome and right. And instead begin to humbly pursue Jesus and to know him more deeply. Now, if you don't know much about the apostle Paul, the guy who wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, he was kind of a big deal in the early church. He was known for helping plant churches all around the ancient world, including this one in Philippi. Not only that, but he was well-respected for a number of things, including his leadership, his shepherding care, and most and also as a brother who demonstrated and set an incredible example of what it looked like to follow the way of Jesus. In other words, if anyone could be looked at as like the person who just is like spiritually awesome, it's Paul. You look at Paul and you're like, that dude has it. He knows what it's like. He has perfected this. He is like, he has a black belt in Jesus, right? It's like, Paul has crossed the finish line years ago and now he's just on the sidelines going, yeah, you guys go. But instead, look how Paul describes his journey, his marathon. Starting in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think 
this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So he's clearly using a racing metaphor, a sports metaphor here. And he's using this word, this. Not that I have already obtained this. So what is this, this that he's referring to? Well, if you go right the verse ahead, he, he tells us what he's talking about. That I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, if you're last week, Joel is kind of unpacking what this means, what he is talking about here. Now, that concept, the resurrection of the dead, has a lot of connotation to it, a lot of the future realities, a lot of the now realities, both entangled in it. And he, and he kind of gets encapsulated a little bit earlier on in the passage we read last week when he said that he wants to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. To know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. See, the resurrection of the dead is the moment in which all things are made right. When, the, when all the broken true things of this world are made untrue. But not only is that a future reality, there are parts of that that we engage in, in the here and in the now is the kingdom of God breaks into our lives. That we can actively know Jesus, not on the, just on the other side of eternity, but right now. To know Jesus in the power of his resurrection. To know the king and to experience the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now it's vital when we are starting any race to identify the goal. What is the why behind the difficult task that we're undertaking, right? Now, for those of us, uh, or for those of you, not us, I am not active in this, who run, run Disney events, I've asked many of you, why do you run? And the most often answer is that you run for the Medals, yeah, it wasn't a trick answer. You run for the medals, right? Those run Disney medals are so cool looking. Now, I'm sure there's other reasons and other benefits to running 26.2 miles. I still don't know them. But there is the medal, and those things look really cool. I saw the one from this morning. Those, it has like Goofy on the Tower of Terror. It's so cool. So you train hard. You envision the moment when you get that, that beautiful hardware around your neck. The goal matters. And so for Paul, the this, the goal that he's talking about, is to know Christ and to experience his resurrection life. See, we're called to pursue knowing Jesus with the focus and the passion that it takes to run a marathon. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Isn't that incredible? Think about that verse. He starts off with such humility. He's saying, I haven't spiritually arrived. I haven't crossed the finish line. Now, when you read Paul's letters, what you realize is one, he's not overly impressed with himself, but also two, he is not filled with a bunch of grief and shame and self-condemnation and self-loathing. Instead, he is giving himself honest self-assessments. I haven't arrived. I'm still journeying with Jesus. I'm still discovering this more and more. He is saying, my goal is to know God and I know myself so that I would know my deep need for him. And as I discover more about him, I know that I am actually not the end all be all. I am not God. I'm not the coolest thing. Now, how can we give ourselves honest self-assessments like Paul? See, 
It's important that we go to our actual compass, not against some um, culture-specific understanding of, of whatever is subjective. But instead in the scripture, we discover what is good, what is not so good. So according to the scriptures, we are both better and worse than we could possibly imagine. Every single human being is created in the image of God. And that means that every single human being is created with the capacity to have goodness and love, kindness and protection of both one another and all of creation. But also every single human being is an active participant in living in the way that we envision best over God's view. This is what we refer to as sin. See, sin is rebellion either through what we do or what we don't do. But either way, it's a choice of our wisdom over God's wisdom. It's trust in self over trust in God. It damages our relationship with him and our relationship with one another. And it results in things like death and chaos and pain and suffering. And it can be lived out in ways that we, from our vantage point, are small. Things like gossip or slander or lust or in ways that we might view from our perspective as large, things like genocide or human trafficking. But whichever way that you or I may be tempted towards a particular sin or set of sins or, or uh, desiring things on our own terms, it doesn't just start with our actions. It stems from the heart. It goes from a heart that desires its own way over God's way. To demonstrate love, but to demonstrate love on our own terms, not in God's own terms. What this means is that the best person you've ever met is still naturally turned against God on our own. And the worst person you've ever met is created in the image of God and is meant for much more. See, we are better image bearers and worse sinful rebels than we could ever possibly imagine. Now, there's good news and bad news in that, but the ultimate good news is that then Jesus comes into the picture to redeem and restore humanity and all creation back to his kingdom ideal. As Paul writes it here, he came to make us his own. Isn't that good news? See, it's not that Paul pursued Jesus, but because Jesus pursued Paul. That song we sang, I was found before I was lost. I was yours before I was not. See, when Jesus died on the cross, what he purchased, he paid the debt of our sinfulness so that we could be restored. He rose from the grave so that we could have hope in him, in this life and into the rest of eternity. And then he sends us his Holy Spirit to be the constant empowering reminder of this truth as we journey on this marathon that is life. So we are better and worse than we can possibly imagine. And this allows us to have an honest self-assessment where we're not beating ourselves up with self-condemnation and self-loathing all the time. But also so that we don't go, yeah, I am pretty awesome, huh? No, no, that's not it. The focus should take us away from ourselves and onto Jesus. Where we go, Jesus is so incredible. I know what I was like on my own, but Jesus, but Jesus. And if you don't know where you stand with Jesus tonight, if you're here and you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, and as I was even just sharing that good news of the gospel, you're, you have questions for sure. You're in a safe community to ask those. But you see, we worship the God who pursues. 
if you feel his pursuit, my simple advice is lean into it. See, it's so vital that each and every one of us, whether we've been following Jesus for five minutes or 55 years, that our hearts would be so captivated by the beauty of the gospel because each and every one of us are prone to wander, to go back to a heart posture, believing that we are good either based on ourselves or we're terrible based on ourselves. But either way, what that does is it puts the focus on us and it shrinks the beauty and the value of the cross. See, instead, like Paul, you can live with the self-awareness of your imperfections, but with a forever growing understanding of the graciousness and power of Jesus. So let's go back to the text. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Such good news. But brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, pursue knowing Jesus with the focus and passion that it takes to run a marathon. He's using a lot of really vis- visual language here, right? Think about running a marathon. It, you have to have that goal in mind. You're thinking of the finish line. And for us, we are called to have this growing knowledge and discovery of Jesus. So he uses this language of forgetting and reaching. I like the way one commentator wrote it. He says, Paul will not allow either the achievements of his past or for that matter, his failures in the present to present, to prevent his gaze from being fixed firmly on the finish line. In this sense, he forgets as he runs. Most people recognize that we humans aren't perfect. And then we either attempt to figure it out on our own efforts and be better on our own terms, or we can slip into complacency. Uh, When when I used to lead a youth group, this was epitomized by what some of my kids would say, me and Jesus are good. Like that was like their default tagline. Like, yeah, me and Jesus are good. Like, in other words, I don't have to actually like change anything about my life in any way, shape or form. Me and Jesus are good. Like, man, that's such a small view of the gospel. Don't you know what Jesus wants to do in you and through you? He wants to set you free. With Jesus, there is something more compelling and holistic though than either complacency or trying to grit it and bear it on your own terms. See, Jesus in all of his wonder can even redeem the worst and most traumatic moments of our past over time. Now, here's a fun fact. He can actually do this through the help and alongside and through professional counseling and treatment. Fun fact to know. But Jesus in his care can also redeem our daily struggles and even our lifelong struggles with another fun fact through biblical community. As we journey with one another, we're not called to live siloed off expressions of our faith. We are meant to do life together where we actually get up in one another's grills. Like we are with one another, getting into one another's business in good, right, and healthy and helpful ways. Offering care, accountability, love and support. And in the midst of that, the spirit of God begins doing epic works in us. Now here's the deal. 
Ideally, if we were to track the marathon course of a journey with Jesus, it would just, and if it was like on a graph, right? It would just start down here and it would just keep going on like a linear trajectory, right? Where it's just straight across, straight into eternity. And there is never any delineation up or down other than just perfectly up, right? But we know that's not life, right? If you've been journeying with Jesus for longer than five minutes, you know that that is just not always the way life goes. See, our imperfections get in the way of that. And the ever-changing circumstances of life get in the way of that. I was thinking about that this week, how there are certain things that I used to struggle with when I was younger in my faith, that by God's grace, I mean, I was thinking about like my... uh, early on in my faith, my addiction to pornography, but by God's grace, that hasn't been a struggle for some time now. And I'm so thankful to God for that. That's his work, not mine. But then there are other ways that I now struggle that I don't feel like I used to struggle. Like for example, I really struggle now to live in the present, really struggle with that. I think it has something to do with my job. I think it has something to do with now being a husband and a dad. Uh, My schedule is more and more consumed. And as my schedule gets more and more consumed, I'm focused on productivity above all else. And it's so easy for me to forget about people. I hate that. I don't want that. And I don't feel like when I was younger in my faith that I really struggled with it the same way that I do now. Because it, I wish that it was just this. You never develop any new struggles in the rest of your life. Like you're at your absolute worst in every respect right now. And it's only up from here. But you know by now that that's not always the case. Circumstances change, but that's not an excuse to complacency. It's a call into continuing to press in and going, God, would you continue to do a new work in me? I need your resurrection power in me. I need to depend more on you. And I share my experience to just ask the question, what's that journey been like for you? Whether it's difficult changes of life circumstances, when grief sets in, when betrayal happens, when a diagnosis comes in from a doctor. Now those are kind of negative ones, right? But can also just be positive ones, right? Things like a change with a new job that's exciting or a promotion, a, uh, having a baby or beginning a new relationship. Like those are, can be exciting things. But still, even whether they're positive, negative, or neutral things, those can kind of alter trajectory, right? It can busy up your schedule. It can add new challenges. It can present new opportunities for things that were kind of dormant to be exposed. See, our lives are constantly changing things and the circumstances in our lives turn the marathon into a little bit more of like a tough mutter. Okay, so I've never done a marathon or a half marathon or any of that before, but I did do a Tough Mudder one time. I, jury's still out if I'll ever do one again. If you don't know what a Tough Mudder is, it is about the length of a half marathon with obstacles of, of I mean, I'll just say stupidity and awesomeness layered along the way. Some of the obstacles are so much fun. Like the rope swing thing, that, that's so cool. Like childhood dream status, right? Some of them are borderline torture devices, the, what they call electroshock therapy 2.0. Such a great name. You're running through mud, muddy water about this deep, about up to your knee. And there are these tassels, these barbs with that, that shock you as you're running through it. So much fun. 
Now that's not my, that, that wasn't my least favorite one though. My least favorite one, because I hate cold water, was the Polar Plunge. I think that was the name of it. And it was this large tank about the length of the stage that, again, dressed in full clothes with shoes and socks on, right? Already muddy. And then you jump into this tank of icy water and then you have to swim in it. But then what's about halfway through, but like a four foot block that is just sitting on top of the water at water level so that you have to swim under it. I know. I hated it. It was the worst. Now, in a tough mutter, those are some of the circumstances, the obstacles that come along our path. In the circumstances of our life, some of them are kind of the more awesome ones, like the rose swing, the positive ones. And you have to figure out, how am I going to get across? And it's fun. And some are like, this just seems like a polar plunge. Like there's, I don't want, can I go around this obstacle? That's life, right? Some can be easy. Some can be difficult. Some can be kind of neutral, but either way, no matter how beautiful or difficult the circumstances, and I don't want to demean where any of you are at right now, but we all are presented with the opportunity every single day to ask the question, how do I discover Jesus in the midst of today? How do I discover Jesus in the midst of today? How do I take this opportunity to draw near to him right now? Or as Paul refers to it, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, this is a call out of complacency and out of a self-focused or a self-righteous attitude where it's all about how good I'm doing. Instead, it calls us to live focused on the path that is before us and the goal that we are called to pursue, but not on our own strength and our own terms, but instead remembering that Jesus is in the redeeming business, which means that we have the opportunity to actually have our eyes focused on him and to be captivated as we discover more of him every single day. And I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool today. Today was a pretty good day on the whole. But sometimes there are, oftentimes it feels like there are days when it doesn't feel so awesome. When it just feels like it, today is a struggle. Maybe that was today for you. Maybe that's been this season for you. But in the midst of it, you are not journeying alone. See, it is not for us to run the race alone. We live with spirit-empowered discipline because on our own, we can't even begin the race, but the spirit of God comes into our lives only to remind us that we belong to Jesus, but then he propels us, empowers us, and dwells us so that we can run the race. And as we run, we realize that we run for the ultimate prize. And the, the terrain is actually, while some of it is difficult, a lot of it's quite beautiful and scenic. Because while we live on planet death, that doesn't mean that there is nothing beautiful and we're just supposed to trudge on through the misery all the way until death. No, we get community. We get life. We get to enjoy tasty food and awesome adventures. We get to see lives be transformed in front of our very eyes when we share the gospel. See, we can run this race. And we can do it not as like automaton robots without emotion, but notice in this passage how emotional Paul's language is. He wants this prize in his own life. He strains on for this prize and he wants this for this church. And I'm imagining Paul would want that for us tonight. And here's why this matters, because the journey is a long one. And if it's a long journey that is zero fun and is all downhill from here, that's going to be pretty difficult to stay inspired on, right? 
it would make us think that we shouldn't even start the marathon to begin with. Which, by the way, is the biggest reason why I've never ran a marathon, right? I've never had the passion to. I've never really wanted to. But for those of you who are runners and you're passionate about running and you love running, it's so cool, right? Now, I imagine, though, even for those of you who are dopey runners, you run all the races, even still, passion can wane sometimes when you're in the midst of a race. So you have to keep your mind focused. You channel your passion even when things aren't easy. And for those of us who belong to Jesus, the marathon can be long. Our passion can wane. But as we consistently refocus our desires on Jesus, our wonder can return. I'm actually, I happen to be in one of those kind of seasons right now. Uh, me and my discipleship group, we've been studying the book of Genesis. And, uh, and as we've been studying the book of Genesis, God is just bringing my mind and my heart to Jesus in a way that he hasn't in a long time. So right now I'm personally in a really cool season with God. That doesn't mean every season's like that, but this one is, and I'm grateful for it while it is. But each and every one of us, every single day has the opportunity to set our minds on Jesus, to be recaptivated by him. And that takes us to this place. Verse 15 and 16, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. That takes growth to learn and live in this reality. He's talking about spiritual maturity because here's the, probably the biggest difference where the metaphor of the race breaks down. As you are running a marathon, you are like physically worse off at the end of 26.2 miles than you were at the beginning of 26.2 miles, right? You haven't gained energy. You've lost energy. But in the journey with Jesus, we grow as we go. We grow in maturity as we journey along with Jesus. See, as you grow in maturity, the spirit of God begins to help you see things that you previously didn't see. Like when typically when you were younger, you started to kind of go off trail a little bit. He reminds you and calls you back and you become more attuned and sensitive to understanding what is the way of the path? What is the way of Jesus? What is, what is helpful and good? What is the right trail? And what are the ways that we deviate, the areas that we go into, the ways that we go into darkness and brokenness and sin, and instead reminding us to come back onto the path? Now, here's the deal. I've had a number of friends in the past who, who have thought that this kind of a concept, especially where he says, where he says, God will reveal that also to you, that somehow that that means that exclusively we are not in any way meant to actually interact with one another's spiritual journeys, that we're not supposed to actually speak into or encourage one another in any, in any way that might challenge where we're at or what we're feeling. But the reality is that's just not true. And when you read the scriptures, it's just not the way it works. Because the spirit of God reveals things to us and draws us towards maturity. And he does that in three primary ways. First and foremost, definitively in the scriptures. In the word of God, we actually get to discover the spirit of God's voice. He authored all of it. He directed all of it. So that, and the spirit of God never contradicts himself. The Spirit of God can also bring to light through direct revelation a thought, a word, or an encouragement to you personally by directing something into your spirit. But again, he is not going to contradict what is authored already in the scriptures. 
And the Spirit of God is also going to regularly speak to each and every one of us through one another. When we encourage one another, when you speak into one another's lives, at its best, it's meant to point to things that are already revealed in the Scriptures and things that are timely and appropriate and helpful and good. Not using the Bible as a, as a club to beat everyone over the head with. Like, I know what's wrong in your life because they probably also know what's wrong in your life. So just saying. But instead, we have the opportunity to exist in biblical community where we live life together. And in doing so, the Spirit of God moves and speaks in each of our lives. So let's hold true to what we have attained. See, God has no desire for you to live feeling condemned. Because if you're with Jesus, the grossness of your past or the worst things on your present days don't define you. Those aren't the most true things about you. Those things have been handled on the cross. Your best and your worst moments no longer are the truest things about you. But this passage does speak about the concept of conviction, which is the, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit to a better way, to the truer path. See, the Spirit of God can and does speak through the scriptures, through direct words injected into your spirit and through biblical community. And no matter which option he might use in any given moment, it should and will always lead us to a growing awareness of our desperate need of God and as well as a growing awareness of the goodness and greatness and beauty of Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus, the encouragement tonight is simple. Hold true to what we have attained. Run this race, but don't do it alone. Run this race with your eyes focused on Jesus because the prize is the king and discovering his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Allow your heart to be recaptivated by this beautiful truth. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. Now, if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, if you don't know exactly what you think of him, you don't call yourself a follower of his, know this, his love is so extravagantly for you. The prize is for you, but it's not one that you earn by your ability to run 26.2 miles, by your awesomeness and impressiveness or your religious resume. You don't have to clean yourself up before coming to Jesus. It's a prize that he freely gives and he invites you into. It's one that was paid for by Jesus. And if you have questions or would like to have a discussion, know that we will have some of our elders and deacons up here who would love to journey in those conversations and prayer with you. Know that this is a safe community to ask questions and to engage in this stuff with. See, the truth, this truth is beautiful and captivating. And by Jesus's power and strength, we have the opportunity to run this race through the highs and lows of life. So let us hold true to what we have attained together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I confess how easily in my life, in my heart, it is to go back to the place where I think that I am impressive on my own. 
Lord, I pray that we would be a community that would bring that confession to you each and every day as we experience it. And instead, we would ask you to renew us, to, to make us people who hold fast, hold true to what we have attained in you. That this mindset of Christ would captivate our hearts and our minds more and more. And not the subjective whims of the culture around us, not the subjective whims of our fickle hearts, but that your mindset would penetrate and permeate everything about us. Lord, it would infect our desires to pursue you and your love more readily each and every day. Lord, I pray over our friends here tonight who have deep struggles, deep hurts, deep wounds, deep spaces of trauma tonight. Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would make them feel seen and known in the midst of the difficulty. That you are not standing over them, pointing a finger, wagging it at them, saying it's all your fault, but that you are coming alongside them, kneeling into the muck and mire that is our lives, calling us your own. That we now can call you our own because Christ has made us his own. Lord, thank you. What else can we say? Thank you. Would you captivate our hearts, our minds, our desires, and our emotions tonight? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.